All right, well, good morning to you. If you're new, welcome to uh, Citadel Square. If you've got a Bible, why don't you go ahead and grab it and turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes is where we're going to be. We've got two sermons left in this book, and uh, this is a really important part of the book. Solomon uh, has been training us to look at life a certain way. He's been coaching us and schooling us in the way of uh, sort of blowing away a lot of the mirage for us when we look at life under the sun. And he's, what he's done throughout the course of this book is help us see life with clarity. Uh, if you remember where we were before Easter, we were right in the beginning of Ecclesiastes chapter 11. You can uh, go ahead and uh, look at that there. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 verse 1 says, Cast your bread upon the waters. Uh, and what we said there was that in light of life's uncertainties and uh, perplexities and randomness and uh, all of that that comes with life, Solomon lives life on his toes. He lives life looking forward and taking risks because he knows that life is unpredictable. But that, uh, that reality of life's unpredictable nature and sometimes random and sometimes hard to understand reality isn't something that causes him to shrink back in fear but causes him to move forward um, in the beginning there of the book. Now, what we're going to look at here today is um, all the way through Solomon has been dealing with death. Have you seen that? that all the way through Solomon keeps putting out in front of us the fact and reality and the certainty that death for all of us is something that we will experience. And whether we want to conceal it or deny it or avoid it or lie to ourselves with certainty day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, we are all headed toward our inevitable death. Welcome to Citadel Square. Good morning. So glad if you're new. We just want to remind you that you're going to die. <laughs> Great. Thanks, Solomon. So uh, all the way through, though, Solomon, this uh, certainty of death has been balanced with Solomon saying, live life. Be joyful. Rejoice in the time that you have been given. Move forward. Keep going. Take risks. Embrace life's ups and downs. But in these last two chapters, or really this last chapter that we're going to begin here in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 today, Solomon is going to turn and not look so much at the certainty of death, the fact or the event of death, but he's going to look at the decline of death. That all of us, I, I don't know, how many of you are under 30 in this room? Raise your hand. Okay, how many of you, wow, okay, this sermon is for you. Okay, he's going he's gonna, uh, to counsel the young man five different times. He's going to refer to the youth and the young in this passage. So this is a section of scripture that is tailor-made for those of you who are 30 and under. Solomon wrote it for you because Solomon in Ecclesiastes is an old man. And he is going to give you some counsel that you ought to embrace early. One of the things I've been so surprised at in the book of Ecclesiastes as we started, we prayed through this as elders, kind of landed on it uh, at the end of last year, uh, is that this has been the book for our church at this time. I have consistently heard stories of how Ecclesiastes is working the truth of God's word into the lives of people in our church. And it's a book that you are meant to read not late in life. You are meant to read it early in life so that your perspective might be balanced and you might be able to live life with wisdom, that you might be able to go through the ups and downs sort of freed from the pervasive pessimism, cynicism, um, uh, ambition, drive, desire that is out there in the world that says you've got to make something of your life. You've got to make life work for you. And Solomon has been dismantling that all the way through this book. So what Solomon's going to do here in Ecclesiastes, the end of 11 and 12, is talk to you about the encroaching nature of death. That death is coming. And what you and I ought to do is prepare well. And the counsel Solomon gives is somewhat strange. It's pretty unexpected. If you were to sit down with somebody today, this week, and they said, I know I've got 20 years left, what should I do? This counsel that Solomon's going to give here is a little bit surprising. 
it's a little disarming. You go, I don't know how this old guy gives such clear counsel, and it feels somewhat odd. So that's what we're going to look at here today. Since uh, we, we all have our days ahead of us, none of us are dead. Anybody dead in here? No? Good. You're all alive, which means this sermon is for you. You have opportunities today to orient your life to the truths that Solomon is going to give you here in Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and 12. All right, you with me? Let's pray, ask God for his grace, and we'll jump in here. Father, for these few minutes that we look into your word, we, give, um, we pray that you would capture our attention and our affection. That you would blow away the fog of uncertainty and maybe bewilderment or despair or discouragement that we have in our life. And for the few minutes that we have here, that these words would penetrate our hearts. That you would remove anything of what I say that is not of you. That you would allow your word to work into us and carve the lessons into our hearts and minds that we need to, uh, that we need to hear. And that you would bless us as we study here this morning. Father, uh, we're thankful for Christ. We're thankful for the resurrection. We're thankful for baptism that proclaims that we've been buried with Christ, but also raised to walk in newness of life with him. So, Father, in that joy, we give thanks and we pray for your grace as we study here this morning. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, uh, we're going to start here in Ecclesiastes 11, verse 8. We ended last time looking at Solomon's uh, perspective on life as one not of passivity, uh, or fear or anxiety, but one where we're moving forward. That Solomon continues to take his perspective on life and say, go after it. Now, his summary statement is what we're going to look at here. It kind of functions as a pivot in the book. Uh, Ecclesiastes 11, 7 and 8, those two verses are sort of a seam in the middle of both chapter 11 and chapter 12. And they form both a transition between what has come before and what comes after. So look at Ecclesiastes 11.7 with me, where it says this, Light is sweet, and it's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. Now, here's the therefore. The therefore is how now we're going to pivot and look into the future of what Solomon's going to give us in this book. Verse 8. So, therefore, if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. Seven different times Solomon has told you in light of work, in light of the certainty of death, in light of the unpredictability of your life, that you ought to work with all your heart, you ought to enjoy life with the woman that God has given you under all the days that you live under the sun, and you ought to take joy in the fact that life is not something to be manipulated for gain. Life is not something that we step out into making sure that all of creation bends and bows to my will and ambition. But life, really throughout the entirety of the book, in fact, the whole book of Ecclesiastes could be summed up like this, that life is gift, not gain. If we really believe that life is a gift, that Solomon's going to refer to God as the creator in this passage that we're going to look at here this morning. That life begins for us as a gift from the creator, for us to enjoy on a planet that is, pri that is primed with light and air and agriculture and industry and economics and all things that God has created for us, for our good, then we can embrace and enjoy the reality that you got up this morning, that this past week you had three square meals, that God has provided all of your needs up to this point. So if a man lives many years... Let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember. Now, Ecclesiastes, one of the problems that commentators have when they look at Ecclesiastes is they struggle with whether or not the theme is essentially positive or essentially negative. Is Solomon just a bitter, angry old man? Or is Solomon have his head screwed on straight and is able to examine life for what it is? I believe it's the latter. Because all the way through the book, Solomon keeps ringing this bell that you can take joy in your life. I recognize this in myself that I have a tendency, tendency uh, start it again. I have a tendency to ignore the very clear and plain blessings of God that he has given, that he has provided in creation, that I can give thanks for, that I can take joy in. And instead, my heart gets in the way. Now, Solomon is going to address our hearts here in just a minute. But now, he begins by saying, rejoice in all the years that God has given you. How many do you have? You got 70, but maybe 80, if by strength, says Psalm 90. 
You might make it that long. And your perspective on life, we don't, we're not talking about Jesus at all. We're not talking about the gospel and the, and the power of the resurrection and the spirit coming into our lives and us living lives of purpose and eternal significance. We're just looking at life under the sun. And Solomon says, because God has given it to you, because it is a gift, not something to be manipulated for gain, you can rejoice in all the years God has given you. You can live life free. Now, the only way that you're able to do that is because you can see life with the proper spectacles. You don't ask too much of life. Your ambitions aren't, aren't raised too high. You're able to take life as it come, understanding there'll be good days and there'll be, look at the remainder of the verse, what he says here. Rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. You're gonna have good days and you're gonna have bad days, amen? There are gonna be years that are relatively filled with comfort and joy, and there are gonna be dark days that you will experience in your life under the sun. Nobody gets out of life, getting out of life, all good days, no bad days, right? So Solomon recognizes that, and you've got a contrast. Rejoice in all the years, there will be some days where days are dark, but look at how he finishes. All that comes is vanity. You see his future perspective? What about the days of suffering that I'm scared of? They're days of vanity, which means in the book of Ecclesiastes, they're momentary, they're transient, they won't last forever, right? You've had some bad days in your life, they didn't last forever, you're in a different season now. You're in a good day right now, a good season right now, good year right now, you'll have days to come and they won't last forever either. Just like our days of, our years of joy won't last forever. Our life under the sun is unpredictable. There's good, there's bad, there's up, there's down. You with me so far? Look at verse nine, rejoice. Now here's a, uh, you know what a time capsule is? You know, they put it in the ground and they bury some stuff, a baseball card and you know, a hat and a t-shirt from some festival and they dig it up later. I don't know why they do that, but it's supposed to be a, ca- a picture of the past. Here's what we did in the past. Solomon is a time capsule for the future. It's something you can open today. He's going to give counsel for all of us who are young in the room. All of you who are under 30. Solomon is aiming this counsel at you. And his counsel is, verse 9, rejoice, O young man, in your youth. One of the most disappointing things is to, be, is to see uh, not old bitter people, but young bitter people. Isn't it? Isn't that discouraging? You go, what has happened in your life? You're 24, and you're that bitter already? That is dangerous. Solomon says, rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Let your heart cheer you in the days of your what? In your youth. Have a good time. Has anybody ever told you that? I mean, maybe the voices in your life up to this point, you're 22, 23, 24, 25, 20, and the voices in your life have only been discipline, focus, ambition, desire, accomplishment, build a future. Maybe nobody's ever told you, hey, go to the beach. Take a break. Enjoy your 20s. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. See, because we have the book of Ecclesiastes, you are able to see life for what it is and recognize that life isn't meant to run on the accumulation of wealth. It isn't meant to run on the accomplishment of my desires. And if you are able to work those realities into your heart, you can enjoy your Tuesday. Do you know that? You are able to go, I don't have to get everything out of life. It's a gift that God has given to me in this time, in this season, in this place. Walk in the ways, look at what he says. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. What do you want to do? Go do it. What are the things you want? Go get them. He points to the motivational core of who we are. 
That the desires that live in our heart and, their, and our ambitions, that not our ambitions in a sinful way, but the things that our eyes see. It's okay to get a smoothie. Right? Take the kale out. <laughs> Be young and enjoy being young. You're not going to put on any weight. Your metabolism's too high. You with me? Rejoice in it. Embrace it. Walk in the ways of your heart. But this isn't a call to hedonism. It's not a call to go and do and drink and eat and be merry and just throw my life away into the pursuit of the things that I want. Why? Look at the remainder of the verse. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Augustine put it like this. In his commentary on 1 John, Augustine says, love God, do whatever you want. That's pretty good. That's pretty good counsel. Do you live, now he's going to talk about this word remember in just a minute. Do you live with a Godward mentality? This is why this isn't pure hedonism and pursuing our desires. Are you aware of the God that we have seen throughout the book of Ecclesiastes? That he has put eternity into the hearts of men, yet men cannot forget, figure out what God has done from beginning to end. That God doesn't tell you everything. That God has a plan that Solomon has tried to figure out, and he said, it's crushing to me to try to figure out what God is doing. But at least in part, while this speaks to morality, it also speaks to the two commands that we've already been given, which means rejoice. Imagine stepping into eternity and God goes, why didn't you have more fun? You were a Christian, but man, you were grumpy. I left all this, all these things, I've given you all things freely to enjoy, and you didn't enjoy any of them? You were like the parable of the talents, the guy who got the talent, who buried it in the ground and go, I don't know, I can't do anything with anything. I better make sure it's just in the ground and safe. You took no risks. You pursued nothing you wanted. You had no ambition. You just were kind of a grumpy 20-year-old, which turned into a grumpy 30-year-old and a bitter 40-year-old. That's what you did? At least in part, God bringing us into judgment means let's obey what God puts in front of us. Let's obey the fact that God says rejoice. Let's obey the fact that God says take a risk. You're not supposed to figure out eternity. I got that. But you've got a calling right here and right now. Walk in the sight of your eyes. Walk in the desires of your heart. Let's move. <clears throat> Look at verse 10. Remove vexation. Now, he's going to look at two, uh, two obstacles to rejoicing. Would you agree there's some obstacles to rejoicing? You ever feel like there's a, it's, a, it's, it's kind of like a hill that you can't get over? I want to rejoice, but man, there are these things that I'm experiencing in my life right now. I just can't rejoice. I can't take it seriously. But he's going to give you two obstacles. Look at verse, verse 10. Remove vexation from your heart. Now, that's a word he's used in, in a couple of different contexts. Keep your finger in Ecclesiastes 11. Go back to chapter 2. Just flip back to chapter 2 with me. 2 verse 20. Uh, let's look at 2 verse 18. 2 verse 18. I hated all my toil which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise or a fool, yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun because sometimes a person who's toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This is also vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun for all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. You got to work, 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 give it away, go to, and die. Look at chapter 5. Go to chapter 5, verse 13. Here's a grievous evil that I've seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he's father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. 
And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness and in much, what? Vexation, sickness, and anger. Come back to chapter 11. What's happening? In chapter 2 and in chapter 5, they are looking to work to finally make them profitable, to finally get gain. And the fact is that death comes and i got to give all my money away. That death comes or disaster comes and all my money leaves. It makes me bitter. It makes me angry. And Solomon recognizes in this counsel to the young... He recognizes that vexation, anger over the fact that my career, my relationships, my place, my house, my thing that I'm looking to for comfort and security and peace and well-being will ultimately let me down. It will let you down. And one of the obstacles is, is that you have been investing your young heart in things that will not satisfy. No wonder you're bitter and you're frustrated. You've been worshiping the wrong thing. So he says, get rid of that vexation. Don't let that bitterness creep into your heart. Let life come as it comes and go after the things that you want, but don't look to them to satisfy you. Don't look to them to be your security and hope and comfort in such a way that you never pray. You never need God. You never live with a God awareness in your mind. So number one, remove vexation. Number two, Put away pain from your body. Take an Advil. Life is not, biblical true life is humble receiving of the gift of life that God has given. It is not asceticism. You don't have to go be a monk and live in the desert. Amen? Gosh, that's good news, isn't it? Put away pain from your body. Take an Advil, relax. If you can get out of pain, get out of pain. That's a good thing to do. For, amen, comes from Rigo. For youth and the dawn of life are what? Guess what? They don't last forever. I've got new and improved knees that can now tell the weather. (laughs) Isn't that great? You got aches. Now, listen. This is, let me pause before we get into what Solomon is about to say and say that the senior saints are such an important part of the life of the church because senior saints teach you how to age well. There are men and women in our church who have walked with God longer than many of you have been alive. Do you know that? And there are saints in this church who've walked with God longer than I've been alive, who can sing still, who have a twinkle in their eye when it comes to talking about the things of faith, who have been through the seasons of life and death and deterioration and still are looking forward to their hope of heaven. And if you don't have them in a church, your church is going to be crippled because you and I are going to be surprised with the inevitable decline and deterioration of our bodies. And if we don't have men and women ahead of us in the fight, ahead of us in the race, able to say, I know what that's like, then you are missing a massively important part of what it means to walk with God through the ages and the seasons of life. Now, youth, the dawn of life, are vanity. That you won't be young forever. I recognized this in my late 20s, early 30s, that my perspective on life was that I lived in someone of an eternal present. That I didn't really feel, I could still do push-ups, I could still dunk a basketball, I could still do some things that if I could wake up in the morning and not hurt myself by sleeping. I could still run a mile, no big deal. I could still go out and play sports on the weekend with relatively no pain. Those days are not these days. And Solomon lets you know, you will not be young forever. Live life, enjoy it, take a risk, let's move. But youth and the dawn of life are vanity, which means they're here just for a minute. Amen? You older than than 30? Yeah, you're right. Those decades go quick now, don't they? I was just 20. Just a minute ago. So here's the danger. Like, we, 
if you're going to put away pain from your body and you're going to watch how vexation is, is dealing with your heart, you, the, the center of who we are and the way we respond to life is our heart. It's the foundation of who we are. That out of the abundance of the heart, what does the mouth do? It speaks. So it tells you what is going on on the inside of who we are. So Solomon recognizes that even life under the sun, without, we're not talking about Christ, we're not talking about resurrection, we're not talking about any of those things, but Solomon's perspective on life is such that pessimism is not a valid Christian perspective. That default bitterness and cynicism are not an appropriate perspective to pursue life. Bitterness and pessimism basically say that God got it wrong back there and he's going to get it wrong up here. So that pessimism and bitterness and cynicism, when they live in our heart and they take root in our heart, presumes that we ought to understand God's plan, that God is not operating on our timetable, God's not doing the things that we think he ought to be doing. Oh yeah, I like that God is sovereign up there, but I really don't like that God is sovereign on my Tuesday. And we should not, listen church, together, let's just commit to this. When cynicism and bitterness show up in our lives and on our, in our hearts, can we kindly and lovingly rebuke one another? Could we do that? Say yes. Good. Could we recognize that it is not healthy for us to live in a sense of perpetual bitterness and cynicism and pessimism? Solomon doesn't. And he's got his head screwed on right looking at life, looking at death. And he's, his consistent counsel is rejoice. 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 Now, here's your transition. Look at verse uh, 12, verse 1. So you've got basically two big pieces of counsel in this text. You've got rejoice and you've got remember. So he begins with rejoice because when should you rejoice? Early, when should you rejoice? When you're young, when should you rejoice? When you don't have aches and pains. Now he moves to remember, which is another important expression of a walk with God. And remember is, gonna, is going to punctuate three different words here. Look at verse 12, verse 1. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before now, you're going to see before mentioned three times. Now, let me talk about before just for a minute. Before is a word of preparation, right? When were you supposed to use wisdom? Before the snake bites, right? When were you supposed to use wisdom? Before I cut down the tree. Use wisdom early because wisdom late doesn't help you. Wisdom, you can't use it in hindsight. You've always got to use it with foresight. So Solomon's counsel to the young among us is not only should we rejoice in the fact that we are young, rejoice in the fact that we can go after the things that we want to with relatively little uh, impediments, relatively few obstacles to doing the things that we want. And then he says here, remember the creator in the days of your youth because the evil days will come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. One of the most dangerous assumptions for the young who are among us is that you'll always have later. It is incredibly dangerous to your spiritual life to believe that one day I'll get right with God. One day I'll make my spiritual life a priority. One day I'll open my Bible. One day I'll learn that truth about God. Not only does Solomon say, for all these things God will bring you into judgment, but you ought to remember who? See who he referred to God as? Remember your what? Creator. Remember the one who began your story. Remember the one who has all of your days written in his book. Remember the author of life. Because there are days that are coming where you will, the years that will draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Now, he's going to explain what that means in just a second. 
But it is dangerous for us spiritually to ignore preparation. Because this is why. Because if we ignore God early, it only gets easier to ignore God later. When did, who did Peter deny first in the denials? A little servant girl, which paved the way for his future and subsequent denials. It only gets easier for you to build a life worshiping the wrong things because your life, the longer you get, your spiritual life, it gets more and more, it's like uh, poured concrete. You can walk through poured concrete early. You might be able to walk through it after an hour or two, but sooner or later that poured concrete starts to harden. And it starts to become what in the beginning is fluid and flexible and moldable. It starts to become not just what it is, but what it will be. And that's how our spiritual lives work. Our spiritual lives work not by, I'll take some worship of God over here, and then I'll worship something else. Our worship decisions, our spiritual life decisions are forming us into certain kinds of people. This is why. When you meet senior saints who still sing loud and have joy in their heart and laugh easy and are filled with faith, they are walking miracles of 30 and 40 and 50 years of walking with God. You don't accidentally turn into a joyful old man. You with me? Am I, Rick, am I right? You, that doesn't happen accidentally. It didn't happen because you decided to open your Bible at 60. It happened because you sowed seeds in your 20s and 30s and 40s. And you went through seasons where there was no fruit on the tree. To where you step into your 50s and 60s and 70s and you have now become who you have planted you were to be. That's a terrible sentence. You get my idea. Remember God early. Orient your life around God early. Begin to pray early. Open your Bible early. Learn the truths of God's word early. Build your life on God's word early. Remember in the days of your youth, before the evil days come, the years draw near which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Verse 2, here's your second before. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened. This is an ominous verse for what is about to come. But it's as if somebody takes the dimmer and they're starting to turn the dimmer down. And I can't begin to, in, in uh, 11 verse 7, you see how it said, uh, go back up, move your finger back up to 11.7. Light is sweet and it's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. What's happening? Slowly and slowly, the lights are getting turned down. The sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. What should happen after the rain? The clouds should leave. What does happen? The clouds return. It's a gathering storm. What happens in the, in the remainder of these verses, commentators kind of get split because they, they can't determine really, is it literal, is it metaphorical, is it allegorical, does it refer to a house or to a gathering storm, to lack of activity in a city, all sorts of stuff. I think the best way to think about it is looking at them as metaphorical pictures of old age. Metaphorical pictures of the decline that is ahead of you and I. This is why Solomon tells you this early. It's why he tells you this when you're young. Because you think your body is going to work the way it does when you're 25 is when you're 75. Guess what? It does not. That's not how it works. Verse 3. Sorry, verse 2. Before the sun and the light and the moon, the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. Remember him before the day when the keepers of the house tremble. This speaks to those things that would guard the house. Those things that for you protect you and who you are. But there's coming a day when they're not steady, but they tremble. The strong men are bent. Psalm 147 says that the strength, the Lord does not take pleasure in the legs of a man, as in the strength of a man, which means it's harder for you to get out of chairs. It's harder for you to walk those steps, that your legs become bent. The grinders cease because they are few. What you think? And molars. 
There are not many left. Now imagine, uh, you know, Solomon couldn't write this in 2022, right? When you got, don't worry about it because we have dental implants. <laughs> well, don't, don't worry about it because we've got knee replacement. Well, don't worry about it because we can give you a pill and make sure your hands don't shake anymore. But imagine Solomon writing this when all around him the realities of death and deterioration can be seen with zero medical involvement. The grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed. That's hard to see. I can't see the way I wanted to or once, when I once could. My wife tells a story when she got glasses and she was like in, she was, you know, young, fifth grade, sixth grade, something like that. And she said, I walked out of the doctor, the uh, ophthalmologist office. She walked out and she said, trees have leaves. They weren't just these blurred green blobs that she was able to see with clarity. Well, there's coming a day when our eyes and our eyesight will leave us, when, when light gets dim and it's harder for us to see what we want to see. You know, there's a, listen, all through this book, young guys, let me say this, all through this book, Solomon has been hammering the fact that we have corrupt ambitions and desires and aspirations for our life. You with me? He has been consistently putting that in front of us to say the way that we approach life many times is inappropriate because we are looking for something out of life that God has not wired life to give us. And that is hard to hear. It is hard to sift the natural sinful ambitions of our heart through the word of God and through our experience and through the book of Ecclesiastes to understand that a lot of times we expect things about life that uh, it's not supposed to give us. But it is only going to get harder when you are living in a body that will die. See, death for us in this passage encroaches. You know, when you graduated high school, you probably knew a couple of people who had passed. I knew one girl who drowned when I graduated high school. Now, I graduated in 95. Who wasn't alive in 95? Yeah, see, a lot of you weren't alive in 95. So now I've been out of college, out of high school, some, some years. And there are more stories I have of people I knew in high school who have died. And when you start talking to people who, have, who start going to 50-year reunions, the numbers get less and less and less. Do they not? Am I right, Rick? They get, they get less and less because there are more and more people who aren't there. There are more and more people who, who do not come back to those reunions. And what Solomon is doing is, is giving you a picture of your future so that you would know without a shadow of a doubt how important it is to remember God early. Because there will come a time when your body doesn't work the way you want it to. And at that moment, at that point, we will see the kind of person that you have been building on the inside, not on the outside. You with me? That day is coming. Verse 4, the doors on the street are shut. Now, most homes had one door in Palestine. Do you know that? So the doors are probably up here. The doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. I can't hear the songs. You need to turn it up. I can't hear the activity that's outside of my house that I ought to hear. Not only that, I wake up at 4 a.m. when the birds start singing. Verse 5, they're afraid of what is high. There's a time you should not be on a ladder anymore. Because it makes me nervous. Get off the ladder. Get a 20-year-old to get on a ladder. They can fall, bounce, they get right back up. They're fine. (laughs) Shake it off, they keep rolling. They're afraid of what is high. They're afraid of terrors in the way. You don't drive at night anymore. Amen? Amen? The almond tree blossoms. You ever see an almond tree? I don't know if you've ever seen an almond tree. You ever seen the cherry blossom festival in Washington, D.C.? 
cherry blossoms come out and they explode in their white. It's just like an almond tree. An almond tree explodes covered in white when the blossoms come. He's looking at gray hair. The grasshopper drags itself along. Imagine how that looks and that's about how it feels. <laughs> that's the idea. You ain't fast, no mo. And desire fails. Uh, you know, desire probably here has, I had a grandfather who uh, toward the end of his last days, he stopped eating. And he said, that's it, I'm done. And this is really, I think, a picture of where we're all headed. All of what Solomon has been talking about in the book of Ecclesiastes is all of our desires, isn't it? All of our ambitions uh, uh, to accomplish, to succeed, to fulfill, to dream. And he keeps slapping us in the faith with death. But the fact is, one day, your desire of all of what you want, to eat and drink and marry and accomplish and succeed, one day will stop. And desire fails because man is going to his eternal home. And the mourners go about in the streets. Where are we now? We're at a funeral, aren't we? that we've reached the end. Now here's your third before, verse six. Remember God, before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken. That's probably pictures of two precious things that speak about the preciousness of human life. This is why I say this every year when we talk about the Sanctity of Life Sunday, that every single life is precious and valuable to God from the moment of conception to the moment when God separates the immaterial from the material. And of life issues matter profoundly in terms of how we see the truth of the biblical record. Profoundly. Because we believe that the 70-year-olds, 80-year-olds, and 90-year-olds aren't less valuable or less important because they're less seen on the commercials. You with me? Amen, church? That they are of profound importance. But remember God before that precious life comes to an end. Or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern. This is a picture of, of basically our lives as poured out like water. Psalm 22 says, my life is poured out like water. That when you pour out water on the ground, you can't recover it again. We've reached the end of being able to gain access to the thing that keeps us alive. The water of life. Verse 7, and the dust returns to the earth as it was. What's that remind you of? Reminds you, if you have a cross-reference, it probably points you back to Genesis chapter 3, doesn't it? That to you are dust, and to dust you will return. It actually, in this verse, you get two realities of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 2, you have the Lord breathed into Adam's nostrils, and he became a living being. And in Genesis 3, you have you are dust, and to dust you shall return, which is what this says. Dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. That there will be one day when the last breath leaves your body and you are separated from your body and you return now to God who created you. The creator is how Solomon has referred to him in this passage. Are you encouraged yet? Why does Solomon give this to us? It's because it's, it's counsel to the young because we so often avoid it, don't we? We so often avoid the realities that our bodies are not going to last in perpetuity being 21. We have to reckon with the encroaching reality of death upon our lives. And more important than that, we have to remember God and who he is when? You forgot already, early. We should practice this later. We have to remember him early. We have to build our lives around God early. Now, there's no better way to see an example of this in the New Testament than in 2 Corinthians chapter four. Would you turn there? We're gonna close here in 2 Corinthians chapter four. We're actually getting ready to start a, a series on 2 Corinthians after Ecclesiastes that I think is gonna be so appropriate. But I wanna look at one little bitty passage here in 2 Corinthians four. Paul is talking about it in the context of suffering. Talking about the fact that his life, when he walks as a Christian, 
now has experiences of suffering that are difficult, that are hard. Paul lists out his experiences as an, as an apostle in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and he goes through all sorts of floggings and beatings and being let down through a wall in a basket and a night and a, a day in the deep, and he's had shipwrecked and all of these things. But Paul takes this idea that Solomon is talking about, our eventual deterioration of our human bodies, and he marries it with the truth of Jesus Christ and the resurrection. See, when Jesus Christ arrives on the scene, he takes the two ideas that you've seen here, material and immaterial, the spirit and the body, and it's combined and put together in that he's both God and man. He's both fully God and fully man, so that we might get a picture of really where we're headed. And Paul shows us this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. This is why I remember God early. This is why you get up before the kids and you read the word of God. Because you need truth to build your life on. You need truth to renew your perspective on things. You need the glory of Jesus Christ to be central in your thinking. In Solomon's day, he didn't have Christ who conquered the reason why there's a break between a living being and the breath of God being breathed into Adam and you are dust, to dust you'll return. What's the event in the middle? It's the reality of sin. That sin takes everything away. Sin ruins everything. Sin takes everything. The reason you will die is because of sin. And Paul now gives you hope that, you, that the truest thing about yourself, the thing that you worship the most, can be something you rehearse day by day and that will subsequently and certainly change you into who you will be forever. Watch. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Where does a Christian set their mind and heart? On their failing body? No, they set their mind and hope and heart on unseen realities that govern the way they live now. Why can the elderly and the senior saints still have a twinkle in their eye and joy in their heart and hope in their mouth and laughter and songs because they've set their heart on unseen things? For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know, of chapter 5, verse 1, that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God. What's the contrast? Tent, pick it up, made of skins. Contrast, building, built by God. Certain, sure, undefiled, imperishable, unfading. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, amen? Oh, my back hurts. Oh, my knee aches. Oh, this thing I've got to take so that my body works the way it's supposed to. We groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed, but by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. This is the desire of, you, whether you say this or not, your desire is that you would live in a body forever, that it wouldn't experience deterioration and failure and macular degeneration and osteoporosis and Alzheimer's and I wish I remembered what that phone number was. But you long to be fully and permanently clothed, secure and stable of spiritual and physical, brought together for all eternity. That's the longing in all of our hearts. That's why we're frustrated when life doesn't work out the way we want. We're frustrated when our bodies don't do the things they ought to do. Because this is the longing of our hearts. But that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal, watch this, may be swallowed up by life. Why, do you see what he just said? 
Usually, what is mortal is swallowed up by what? Death. But Paul says, Christian, your future is so certain and sure because of Jesus that one day your body will go into the ground and it will be swallowed up by life. What a truth. Can you build your life on that? I'll bet you can. He who has prepared us for this very thing. What very thing? The fact that life wins. The fact that death will not have the last word. The fact that Jesus is out of the grave. And if anyone believes in him, he will not see death. Isn't that true? That the life will, he, I'm sorry, it, our mortal life will be swallowed up by life. He who's prepared us for this very thing as God who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. That's the promise of God. Why do you remember God early? Because when you remember God early, when you remember Jesus Christ early, when you build your life on Jesus Christ early, you have something that death cannot take away, that bad knees and arthritis and osteoporosis and you can't see and terrors in the way can't take away from you. Because Jesus has won and Jesus is alive and Jesus guarantees to bring you to himself, to clothe you forever. Amen? Father in heaven, what a glorious truth this is. May we be a church that remembers these things, that considers the truth of the fact that Jesus is alive and he has conquered Satan, sin, and death, and that no difficulty or days of darkness will have the last word in our life because Jesus is alive. Would we be a people who are characterized by hope and joy and confidence that we would be a young, rejoicing, confident, joyful church because Jesus is alive? And would you give us generations of men and women who start early to orient their lives around the truth of Jesus Christ? Would we be such a disciple-making church that from generation to generation there would be men and women who don't know a day when they didn't begin building their life on the truth of Jesus Christ? So Father, bless us in this pursuit. Bless us in this endeavor. In Jesus' name, amen.